of you are excited to be here today? <laughs> okay, that was about five of you. Okay. <laughs> excited that the Lord has given us the opportunity to be here. Another day, right? Any day you had a breath in your body. The Lord, that means that the Lord has still given you uh, something to do. Your purpose is still here. So we have reached the conclusion of our series through John's letters written to the seven churches. I'd invite, invite you, if you are interested in revisiting uh, some of the messages in this series, to refer to our website where you can listen to the messages recorded. So let us go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, what a privilege it is. There are many overseas right now, many in different places where they cannot openly worship and praise you. So, Lord, let us rejoice. Let us give thanks. May our hearts be encouraged through the preaching of your word today that leads us to obedience. Lord, this message isn't just for one person. This is a message for us all. We need your help even today. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the year 2004. In my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. And a crew of guys would hang together practically every weekend at the same house, same time, same location. From there, we would decide what we wanted to do for the evening. We would either go to the mall, the movies, the skating rink, or we would hang around my friend Sean's house. Now, Sean had a really interesting house. It wasn't the cleanest. Yet he had a number of people living with him. Folks were in and out of his house all the time. Neighbors, cousins, and friends. It was the place to be. In fact, we used to call it Club Sean, because everybody was there at all hours of the day. Now, one of my other friends, as we started hanging out there, had given me the heads up about Sean's house. He said, man, don't ever eat anything at Sean's house. <laughs> eat only if it is delivered or store-bought. Don't use the dishes, the utensils, or anything. Look for plastic. <laughs> now, I, I didn't understand why at the time, but there was a day when we were all in the kitchen and it made sense. Sean had run some dishwater and had left the dirty dishes to soak. My other friend comes up behind Sean and says, man, how in the world are you soaking dirty dishes in lukewarm water? You aren't killing no germs, nor is there a ton of soap in the water. He proceeds to pick up a cereal bowl, and you could see the two-day-old cereal crumbs still stuck on the bowl. Sean said he washed them, but there was nothing remotely looking clean about the bowl. My other friend came over to me, obviously disgusted, and said, I have no idea how you would want to use or get anything clean when washing and using lukewarm water. It is disgusting. Not only is washing dishes in lukewarm water a problem, but there was a problem with a lukewarm church. 
Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And in this passage, the Apostle John intends to show the church of Laodicea three devastating effects pride can bring upon a lukewarm church. Three devastating effects pride can bring upon a lukewarm church. It can blind a church, it can blind a church's reality in verses 14 through 18. It can blind a church's need to repent in verse 19. And it can blind a church from its reward in verses 23 in verses 20 through 22. So to make it simple, Reality, verses 14 through 18. Repent, verse 19. Reward, verses 20 through 22. Read with me as I read aloud Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Apostle John begins verse 14 with this. He says, and to the angel or messenger. This is one who carries out various tasks or missions for God. Once again, John's standard way of beginning the letter as we have seen him addressing, in other, addressing to the other churches. This could be a pastor, while others believe this is simply an angelic being. Nevertheless, this wasn't any angel. This was a messenger of the church. This angel was a representative of the local, called out, set apart believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where? Not Temple Hills, not Washington, D.C., but in Laodicea. Now, it's important gone through these messages to know a little bit of background about the city, a little background about the area where this church was located. The city of Laodicea was about 40 miles east of Ephesus, 10 miles west of Colossae. It was named for Laodice, the wife of Antiochus II, who was around from 261 through 247 BC. It was known for its black wool industry 
and it was established on the banks of two rivers, meaning they had a large water supply bringing in both hot and cold water, hence lukewarm. Epaphras, Tychicus, Onesimus, and Mark seem to be early messengers of the gospel in Laodicea. And this city had one other distinction about it. This city had money. It was known for money, money, yeah, yeah. Laodicea thrived as a commercial and banking center. It became extremely wealthy during the Roman period. Now, think of a city, think of a certain city in mind where you have to have some bread to live there. Like, you gotta have some money to live there. Like, this, you can't just live here and think, oh, one job is gonna get it done. In fact, the most expensive cities to live in the U.S., and some of you might not be surprised, is number one, Manhattan, New York, Honolulu, Hawaii, San Francisco, California, Brooklyn, New York, and lastly, Washington, D.C. But guess what? We in Temple Hills, so we okay. <laughs> this city had so much money. In fact, when the city was destroyed by an earthquake in AD 60, it alone refused aid from Rome in order to rebuild. And usually, when one is rich, there's a tendency to have the mindset of self-sufficiency. I don't need God. Why? Well, all of my needs are met. I got money. I can pay for whatever, do whatever I want, when I want. I remember getting my first job, and I thought I had some money, but I found out that was only a little bit of money. It's the same mentality some kids have with their parents' money. Ah, my parents got money, therefore I have money and I can do whatever I want. You forget about God. In essence, you become your own God. And the thought is, because life is nice, life is comfortable, I must be good with God. The church in Laodicea had been affected by the culture around them. They had this self-deception blinding them to thinking that, oh, because we believe the truth, we have it all together. This resulted in their lukewarmness. Similar type of thinking faces many local churches today. This type of thinking can face many of our members today. We are okay because our church is self-sustaining. We are okay because we are affiliated with the right denomination. We are okay because we are affiliated with this group or this doctrine. This is the same type of thinking influencing the church in Laodicea. And now the site of Laodicea is a heap of ruins. The angel is instructed to write. Write what? The words, he says, the sayings of the amen. Now, let's pause right here. Many of us say amen throughout service. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but some of us may not know what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean or affirm? Well, amen is the ultimate affirmation. Acknowledging what was said is valid, binding, and trustworthy. Again, affirmation. Because I've heard some people say amen, and that's not something that you may want to be amening about. They said, man, they killed Jesus. Amen. Wait, whoa. 
the angel is going to write the words of the ultimate affirmation. He says, the faithful or reliable and true witness. The word for witness here in the Greek is martyr. One who witnesses at the cost of one's life. But not only is this person the amen, he's the faithful, the true witness. This person is the beginning of God's creation. The beginning of God's creation. Now, it doesn't mean that this person is created. Paul uses similar language in the book of Colossians when he says he is the in an image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word for beginning or firstborn indicates that of ruler, origin, source, preeminence. He is in control of it all. He is in control of their wealth, their water supply, and their power. He rules over all creation. He is the only real superpower, America, China, Russia. There is only one who fits all of these descriptions. Angel of Laodicea, you are to write the words of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The truthfulness and divine origin of the message is emphasized here. Jesus is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is true. Now, this is in sharp contrast to the unfaithfulness we will see addressed in later verses. He continues in verse 15. Look with me now at verse 15. I know your works. That is, I have intimate knowledge of your deeds. I know what you do. He knows their thoughts. He knows their actions. Family, even today, Jesus knows what we do. He knows what we are thinking about. Just as a mirror shows the reflection of a person, Jesus can peer into the heart of a person. He knows some of you are already thinking how much longer. What am I going to eat after service? And the best thing Jesus can say about this church is this. You are neither hot nor cold. You are neither hot nor cold. Like, wow, Jesus, this is the, this is the best you can say? No one goes into a restaurant and asks for a lukewarm drink. You either want iced tea or hot coffee. No one wants a lukewarm steak. Church in Laodicea, you are in the profitable city with a huge water supply, and you possibly have wealthy church members with good doctrine, shouldn't they be known for their ministry? You aren't on fire for the Lord, nor are you cold for the Lord. Jesus says, would that you were either cold or hot? It would be easier if you were just one way or the other. At least then we can make a firm judgment. But interestingly enough, they are revealing themselves. Jesus continues with the diagnosis in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, you aren't completely one way or the other. Saying they were lukewarm probably refers to Laodicea's water supply, as we mentioned earlier. They would receive their water supply through an aqueduct by the Romans. It would arrive to the city lukewarm. Their neighboring cities, Heriopolis and Colossae, the first had hot water produced for medicinal benefits, and the second had cold water, which was believed to be healthy. So when the water would arrive, it would arrive lukewarm and dirty. In essence, the church matched its water supply. They weren't known for their healing and life-giving ministry. Instead, they were lukewarm, useless to the Lord. 
They weren't providing refreshment nor healing for the spiritually sick. They just existed. Does this describe our church? Are we beautiful on the outside, but sick inwardly? We can boast of we belong to this, but is our reality that we're really lukewarm? And notice what Jesus says next. I will spit you out of my mouth. It's actually more intense. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Trying to drink the lukewarm and dirty water would result in vomiting. Jesus says, don't you realize you make me sick? The church faith and witness did not have an, a healthy effect on those who were around them. They had serious self-deception. They had a false sense of reality. We see it revealed even more in verse 17. Look with me now, verse 17. For you say, the word for four can be rendered, let me explain. The church says, I am rich. They make declarations that they are plentiful, plentifully supplied. We are self-sustaining. We don't need any help. Now, this is in contrast to the church in Smyrna, who were really poor and persecuted for the sake of their faith, yet they were truly rich, Jesus says. They continue with, I have prospered. I have need of nothing. They make claims that they have no need of anything. We have it all together because we got money. They assumed that because they had money, that because they had no need of anything, that they were spiritually rich. I need nothing is a prideful refrain, not a hymn of contentment. Their lukewarm attitude, their lack of awareness, traces its roots back to their hearts. An attitude of pride, apathy, and arrogance masked by humble indifference. Their pride blinded them. Boastful pride and self-sufficiency had blinded them to the truth. They didn't have any external threats, no. They had threats within their own congregation. Being a church that is self-sustaining with no help from any other outside sources doesn't necessarily make us okay. We may not, we may not have a lot of money or networks compared to other churches in our areas, but pride is universal. This church had succumbed to their own luxurious lifestyles and didn't recognize the effects that it was doing upon them spiritually. Friends, pride has a way of blinding people to their true spiritual condition. Unbelievers' response is, they know they don't need God, right? You talk to an unbeliever, they know. And they're proud of it. They know we don't, hey, I don't need God. But a self-deceived believer's response is, I have God, therefore I'm good. I don't need to check my spiritual temperature. No, I'm not out at the clubs having sex, getting drunk like the world, so I'm good. Though a true believer asks the question, how is my heart with God? Am I far away from God? Who is in my life that can help give me a spiritual checkup? What's interesting is even as we go to individuals asking those questions, a lot of times we ask individuals those questions who don't really know us. Who is close to me that can see, help me to see my flaws? Who is close to me that can help me see 
the prideful areas in my life that I could be missing. This church prided itself on financial wealth and self-accomplishments with this attitude being reflected in the church. They didn't have a reality of their true spiritual condition and money and wealth can do this. It can blind its users. Wealth has to be handled carefully or it will consume its owner. They weren't seeking the kingdom and its righteousness, therefore everything else would not be added, Matthew 6, 24. You believe because you got your little money, he goes on to say, not realizing that you are wretched. Now, for some of you, I didn't say ratchet. I said wretched. (laughs) Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Sometimes having money can present the false illusion you have a lot of material possessions and decimate the relationship one has with God. Now, I've been going in on money a bit. Having money is not wrong, as it is the love of money, which is the root of all evil. However, money has a way in blinding people to the realities of their relationship with God. And before some of you think, oh, this cannot possibly be us, think, most American churches have considerably more money than churches in other countries. I don't think any of us came to church this morning with thoughts, hmm, I wonder if the light's going to be on. I wonder if the heat going to be booming. Jesus continues with some counsel. Verse 18, I advise you, I'd like to give you some advice. What's that, Jesus? To buy from me, to purchase from me. Stop for a moment. What could one possibly buy or purchase from Jesus? Salvation is free, right? Since you believe you are wealthy, Three things you can buy. First, he says, gold refined by fire. Why gold? Well, the church was intrigued by wealth and prosperity. This is actual gold. There's no indication of any hidden or spiritual meaning. Refining gold would come with making the gold very hot to remove the impurities out of it. Jesus says, Buy the gold from him so he would remove the sin and idolatry from these believers. And what would be the result? He says, so that you may be rich. You may know what real richness is. It isn't having Shaq's money or the man who signs Shaq's checks. It isn't the one who invented the color blue. Jesus says, buy the gold from me. Buy the gold from me. And also, and white garments. White garments. Move over, Gucci. Move over, Louis. White clothing. It symbolizes purity. Undefiled clothing because right now you are defiled. And here are the reasons they are to put on white garments. He says, so that you may clothe yourself. Right now you are naked. As he said in verse 17, you need some clothes on. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Remember, nakedness discloses shame. Remember when Adam and Eve When their eyes were open, they realized they were naked and shame in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Lastly, he adds, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Eye salve was a medical compound applied to the eyes, an ointment applied to the eyelids for medicinal purposes. 
They had a well-known medical school in Laodicea, famous for this eye salve. Jesus says, smear this on so that you may see. Buy gold, white garments, and eye salve. Pride had blinded the reality of these believers. They thought they had it all together because the money was rolling in. However, having money and being comfortable doesn't make you right with Christ. Rich in doctrine doesn't necessarily make you right with Christ. We live, if not, in the richest country being America, and imagine what that has done to a good number of churches. Imagine what it has or could possibly do to our church. One writer has said, you cannot buy your way into heaven. It comes through testing, trials, Faithfulness being sanctified and refined. Laodicea was blinded to its reality. I remember first becoming a Christian, and I thrived myself off reading and knowing to talk theology. Now, it isn't wrong to be able to articulate theological truths if it's coming from a humble heart. I was reading church historians, reading so much, and I can tell you what this theologian said and that theologian said. I would take all the money that I would have and buy books and just to check them off my list. And I was sitting in Sunday school class one day, and as the teacher was asking questions, I had answers to every one of them. He asked, what is propitiation? I was like, boom, I had an answer. What is justification? Boom, I had an answer. My hand was always the first to go up, and even when someone had something to say, I'm like, all right, I got to one-up them. Boom, I had to counter. My wife pulled me to the side one day, and she said, love? Well, she does this little thing where she taps my leg when she wants me to calm down or realize something. She goes, love? Uh, it, it is okay to let someone else answer. I said, what do you mean? I had become defensive. She said, it's not the fact of what you are saying is wrong theologically, but rather it, is, it can come off as if you are more interested in hearing what you have to say and not caring about others. As if what you have to say is more important than everyone else. This is what pride can do. You may be reading and saying the right things theologically, but knowledge puffs up and love edifies. I had lost the sight of reality, of wanting to see and hear others grow in the Lord and how I could be edified by what they say. Just because I had the right answer, no one else could say it the way that I could. I had been blinded. And this is what pride does. It deceives you. It can happen in the most subtle ways. We have looked at the first way, it can blind a church to its reality in verses 14 through 18. Now, let us look at the second way it can blind a church, and it can blind a church in its need to repent in verse 19. Laodicea thought that they were okay, and initially they did not see their need to repent. But Jesus tells them, this is needed, there is hope. Friends, that was heavy, but... But Jesus has to give us the bad news in order to get to the good news. Verse 19, those are the ones whom I love. Despite the sins plaguing this church, there are some whom Jesus loves. He loves them so much that he tells them where they have sinned against him. You think you are this way, but this is who you truly are. In some degrees, all of us have an inflated view of self. We think we are better than what we are. We have a view of ourselves that looks down upon others, a self-righteousness, but yet Jesus says, you are the ones whom I love. And he loves them so much, he continues with, I reprove, I correct, 
I penalize for wrongdoing and discipline. Reproof and discipline are divine expressions of love. He does this in a way to help those whom he loves make decisions that glorify him. One writer has said, discipline is a purifying process for the victorious, but a wake-up call for the weak. He continues, so be zealous and repent. Be earnest, be intensely serious and repent. Turn from your sinful ways. You need a change of heart leading to a change of mind, leading to a change of actions. Turn from your lukewarm attitude. Jesus says, because I love you so much, I am showing you your sin while there is still time. Be all in for me. Earnestly repent. No one can serve two masters. So I ask us, what is it in your life that has divided your affections for Christ? Is it money, politics, social media, fame, sex, career? How about this? Is it worry? Is it doubt? Be eager to get right with God because continuing in a lukewarm, prideful attitude can lead you to think, I have nothing I need to repent of. But Jesus says, because I love you so much, I love you enough to tell you you are not okay. I am telling you this so you can truly see. Because when you do, there is a reward when you turn to me. And he makes this clear in verses 20 through 22. Pride can blind you from the reward Christ has for his people. Look now at verse 20. Jesus says, behold, pay careful attention to what I am about to, st- to say. Pay attention, public service announcement. I stand, I am in position at the door and knock. He says, I'm at the entrance. I'm at the entrance. If Jesus knocked on the door of this church right now, would we answer the door? Well, first, we'd have to figure out which door is the entrance, whether it's this one or this one back here. I'm at the entrance. And here's the condition. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Well, first, Jesus is saying, I'm available. He's knocking at your door. Question is, will we be obedient and answer? He's knocking at the door of their hearts. He's knocking at the door of our hearts today as well. Will we answer? Will we respond in repentance? This loving and compassionate Savior wants your heart. He wants your affections. He wants us to live lives bringing glory and honor and praise to his name. He wants us all in. And if we respond in obedience, he says, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He will dine with us. He will have fellowship with us. Now, a meal invitation in biblical days opened the way up of reconciliation. Sharing a meal was sharing life. This is one of the reasons why we encourage 
getting together outside of services, meeting together, meeting together over meals. Because there is a fellowship shown that encourages sharing our lives together. Mealtimes in those days had levels of complexity in which social values, statuses, and hierarchies were reinforced. By Jesus having meals with people, he demonstrated being around all people and that he was a friend of sinners. Verse 21. The one who conquers, who is victorious, The one who turns from their lukewarm attitude, Jesus issues a future promise. Some will have victory. He says, I will grant him. I will give to him, the overcomer, to sit with me on my throne. Mm. In other words, the one who turns from their sins and is obedient to Christ's command, Jesus will grant divine access. You won't need a VIP pass. You won't need a backstage pass because Christ already knows you. You will be an heir to the throne. You will have the opportunity to rule and reign with Christ. The faithful are promised they will sit with Christ on the throne in his eternal kingdom. And this is the beauty of Christianity. Why do you say that? Well, every other religion says you have to do something in order to be made right. But Jesus says when you turn from your sins and believe in what I have done, you will sit with me. He says also, as I also conquered, Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave when he rose on the third day. He says, you don't have to be enslaved to sin. There is a way out. There is a way out of grief, despair, addictions, loneliness, heartbreak. Jesus has conquered the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And when I was raised, Jesus says, and I sat down with my father on his throne. This is what victory looks like. When Jesus overcame sin and death, he was raised and given authority in heaven. This is the reward awaiting those who repent. When Jesus overcame sin and death, he was raised. He was given authority, and he makes that access available to us today. Perhaps this is you today. You've been lukewarm with God, not firmly committed to him. Everything has been going fairly well in in your life. You have no pains. You've not been in the hospital You've been doing okay, you're eating good, you're living good, you have no hopes, no cares in the world, everything's just good. You don't need anyone. But don't be deceived. In essence, it's a reverse prosperity gospel. Because you think, because you believe the truth, however your actions and thoughts show otherwise, everything is always going to go my way because I'm a Christian. Well, that's not the the true gospel. You don't need God because money and comfort is your God. But what happens in the blink of an eye if it's all taken away? All your hopes, all your dreams, all your finances, your future. You can't shoot a basketball anymore or your tongue is taken from you, and the very thing you use or can use to make money is now gone. How would you respond? And here's this God man. 
from Nazareth, who has his arms outstretched, saying, come to me, all you are he- ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ has come, and he has said, stop running away from me, but run to me. Choose this day whom you will serve. You can't serve two masters. You can't be both the Los Angeles Lakers or a Boston Celtic. Come to Christ today. And when you turn from pride and being lukewarm, you will conquer. You will have victory. You will sit with Christ upon the throne. There are some of us here who believe in Christ, who dibble and dabble in lukewarmness, who need help. But first, let us ask the Lord to help us see through our own deceit. Let us ask him to shine the light of truth upon our hearts. Because it is dangerous to be a self-professing Christian who can see everyone else's sin but not their own. Second, let us check our spiritual temperature. How? Paul says, examine yourself. Do a spiritual inventory on your life. Ask others who love you and will tell you the truth and who have nothing to gain about yourself. Third, how do I respond when others fail? Is it a response of grace? Or is it, these people are destroying the world? This is our call. This is the message for anyone who has an ear. Verse 22. He concludes with he who has an ear. The one who has the ability to listen, let him hear what the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit, The third person of the Trinity says to the churches, this message is divine. It isn't just coming from anyone. This message isn't just for Laodicea, but those who are a called out, set apart assembly of believers. This message is for his church. This message is for our church. We have looked at three devastating effects and how pride can blind a lukewarm church. Can blind a church's reality in verses 14 through 18. Can blind you to repentance in verse 19. And it can blind you to your reward in verses 20 through 22. There was a boxer from Los Angeles who was champion of the world. And there was another boxer from the Soviet who killed the champion's father during a fight in 1985 and had been living destitute since losing to another boxer that same year. He wanted to regain the glory he formerly had, and he wanted to do so by putting his son against the heavyweight champion, who his name is Donnie, and issues the challenge. An older boxer named Rocky had been training Donnie, and he asked him, why do you want to fight him? As if to ask, what is your reasoning for wanting to fight the Soviet boxer's son? In the movie, Donnie had been lukewarm, trying to decide whether or not to fight. Is it for the love of boxing? Or is it to pump up his own ego? Rocky asked him, why do you want to fight him? He's dangerous. You have nothing to lose. He has everything to gain. He responds to Rocky with this, I'm dangerous. His reality is blurred. He's self-deceived. Rocky ends up not training him, and Donnie's pride and unpreparedness takes him into a boxing match where he gets destroyed. This is the bad 
news. But here's the good news. After being beaten badly, he is humbled. His vision is cleared. He reconciles with Rocky. He trains properly and is victorious. Now, why tell this story? Donnie was blind to his reality. He, like Laodicea, thought he was better, stronger than what he was. But unlike a fictional movie, Jesus comes giving us the opportunity to repent and be humbled and have true victory. He has given us the opportunity to have eternal life. Where in our lives have we been blinded and need to see? When have we taken a step back and examined ourselves? Family, the time is now. The time is today. May the Lord open our eyes today. May he open them so we won't be lukewarm and have a truly fruitful and life-giving ministry. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and almighty Father, Lord, it's never easy to hear a message on pride. Pride is something that we are all affected with. But Lord, you have given us a way out. You have given us eyes to see those who love you and are called according to your purpose and your word. Help us, O Lord, to examine ourselves. Help us to be encouraged when we do see the sin that's in our lives. Help us to turn from those things and turn towards you, giving thanks to you for all things. Would you continue to be with us, O Lord? Help us to turn from our lukewarm attitudes so that we may have true victory, which is found in Christ. We thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen.